You don't really know much about Halloween. Halloween. The barriers will be down between the real and the unreal. And the dead might be looking in. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red. Halloween, the children. You happen to know anything about this Cochran? All I can tell you, mister, is watch out. Season He's watching you, friend, I guarantee you that. Hey, Mr. Cochran, just what is the final process? Fellas, I was just kidding. Witchcraft. To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. Hey! Where are they taking her? They're taking her to the factory. I want a mask. Can I have a mask? Uh, just what I had in mind for you, little buddy. Why, Cochran? Why? Do I need a reason? I've got nothing here to indicate there was ever a body at all. Operator, this is an emergency. I do love a good joke, and this is the best ever. A joke on the children. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. You've got to believe me. They're going to kill us. All of us. Stop it! The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. Happy Halloween. Stop it! Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, the night no one comes home. How goes it, kids and heroes? And welcome back to another exciting episode of the Halloween Horathon, where today... I'm talking about what some may consider the bastard stepchild of the Halloween franchise, the Cousin Louie that no one talks about, the one and only 1982's Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. So how are we doing? I hope everyone is having a fantastic day. If you're listening to this on your way to your work, your morning commute, all that jazz, then all I can say is hoping for the best. You're awesome. Have the best day ever. And here we go. Halloween 3. So, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. So, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. So, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, was released October 22nd, 1982 from Universal Pictures. It opened up in second place against First Blood... What is this? First Blood, Monsinger. I've never even heard of this film. An Officer and Gentleman, and E.T., Opening weekend box office was six point three million. Total gross fourteen point four million on a budget of two point five million. So the same budget as Halloween two. Made less money than Halloween two, but still, I mean, you, you consider uh, two point five. Then we got advertisement, marketing, all that stuff. So it's probably more or less, more like. Five million around that ballpark. I mean, it still made money, but when you compare it to the money that the first and second films made, then yeah, big drop off when you drop the Michael Myers character. But I mean, nothing but respect. Big props to Tommy Lee Wallace and company for just at least trying. You're never gonna know unless you try. You know what I mean? The anthology idea. Um, 
it was a great idea. I, I love the concept. I just think that if they were going to go in that direction, then they should have done so with the second film. Because once you get the ball rolling with two films, the Michael Myers character, and, you know, judging by the box office grosses, the, the dude was still as popular as ever. I mean, going up against people like Leatherface, who at that time only had one film out, but still... Um, Jason, I'd say, was the biggest rival in terms of you know big hard characters, but but still, like it, it. My point being, don't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And they went and just while they were on a roll, changed it up. And unfortunately, it cost them. I mean, they still won, but they lost in the end. You know, I mean this. The, Universal ended up selling the rights back to, or reverting the rights back to um, Yavlins and, and uh, Akkad, and things stayed quiet until six years later. I mean, there was a six-year gap between three and four, and then obviously when four came back, I mean, they came back pretty strong with uh, re the return of Michael Myers, which I'm a big, big Halloween 4 fan. Um, maybe one of these days we can talk about it one here but uh, as for now i'd have no plans for doing a fourth film um did the first one back in august did part two last week and this one yeah that's it i have no intentions of going on for the halloween harathon this is where it stops for now because i'm sure we'll be talking about this franchise again down the road so uh getting back on track here um the crew involved directed by tommy lee wallace like i said produced by Deborah Hill and John Carpenter, written for the screen by Tommy Lee Wallace, Nigel. Now, this is where it gets tricky. Tommy Lee Wallace gets a written, uh, directed by and written. He's getting, he's getting all right. He has a writer's credit for this. Director and writer credit goes solely to Tommy Lee Wallace. Whereas the truth behind this is um, Nigel Neely. Um, it's a huge, big, like. <sighs> He, he's a big time horror name back in the day um turns out the majority of his because he wrote the screenplay first and then when universal picked this up they felt that this wasn't it and they had john carpenter do the first rewrite and truth be told tommy lee wallace didn't like some things that carpenter put in there so then he did a final rewrite but in the end about 60%, they said, of um, Neely's script made it to the final product. But Tommy Lee Wallace ended up with the final credit, the only credit, which is kind of BS. But uh, I just wanted to throw that out there that it's just not just one person that wrote this. Um, music by John Carpenter and Alan Howarth. Alan Howarth. Edited by Millie Moore and cinematography again by the great Dean Cundy. The players involved Tom Atkins as Dr. Dan Chalice, Stacy Nelkin as Ellie Grimbridge, Dan O'Hurley as Connell Cochran, Michael Curry as Rafferty, Jonathan Terry as Starker, Nancy Keys as, as Linda Chalice, Dick Warlock as Assassin Droid, Ralph Strait as Buddy Kupfer, and Garn Stevens as Marge Gutman. Alright guys, the Critics Corner here. Rotten Tomatoes score of 42% from 26 reviews. 
film has a meta score of 50 from 11 reviews and a letterbox score nice round even number three out of five Critical response to Halloween 3 proved to be negative, mainly due to the absence of Myers. Vincent Canby of the New York Times, while struggling to apply a definite label to the film's content, said, Halloween 3 manages the not easy feat of being anti-children, anti-capitalism, anti-television, and anti-Irish all at the same time. On the other hand, he says that the film is probably as good as any cheerful ghoul could ask for. Ask for. Robert, Roger Ebert called the film, quote, a low-rent thriller from the first frame. This is one of those identical films assembled out of familiar parts from other better movies. Uh, fantastic, fantastic, and fast and and cinefantastic ah, fantastic called the film, quote, a hopelessly, a hopelessly jumbled mess, end quote. Blech. Get that crap out of my mouth. Uh, Tom Milne from Time Out Magazine called the title a bit of a cheat since the indestructible psycho of the first two films plays no part here. Unlike other critics, Milne thought the new plot was refreshing with the possibilities of the characters of the previous Halloween films well and truly exhausted. Season of the Witch turns more profitable to a, marvelous, a marvelously Nigel Kneel uh, tale of a toy maker and his fiendish plan to restore Halloween to its witch cult origins. Although Melanie wasn't happy yet, McNeely's original script was reduced to a bit of a mess, he still believed the end result was hugely enjoyable. As for me, well, I love this film because it takes guts to do a Halloween sequel without Michael Myers. I love this film because of the batshit insane kills this this movie includes. I love it because those Don Post masks are still as badass as they were 40 years ago. I love this film because of the look Ellie gives when identifying her father. I love this film because it's always middle time for Tom Atkins. I love it because of Irish pride. I love this film because of sci-fi elements mixed with horror. I love this film because of the look and clap Cochran gives before vanishing. I love this film because of that little buddy scene. And finally, I love this film because it's time for the big giveaway. Okay, so let me talk about this film's origins now. Um, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, they would only commit to Halloween 3 if it wasn't a direct sequel. So they were really driving hard that Anthology, anthology idea that they've been talking about since Halloween 2. Irvin Yablins and uh, Mustafa Akkad, they returned to executive produce, but they were unsatisfied in the end with the product. There's a Halloween 3 documentary on the uh, Scream Factory edition where Yablins was just basically, he was pretty, he's in one, he's only in one part of the documentary and it's about a half hour long and he just was there to say, Oh, that movie, that, you know, the only thing I like it for is the money that I collected. The paycheck, basically, is what he said, more or less. Um, after turning down Halloween 2 due to the same film being made and the gore that was just unnecessary to him, when, as opposed to the first one where there's little to none, Tommy Lee Wallace gladly accepted the directing job after being told the story would be without Myers again. I mean, wouldn't be with Myers again. Um, 
the producers hired Nigel uh, Neely to write the original screenplay because Carpenter admired his Quieter Mass series. Um, and then basically after that, I've already talked about the writing, what, what happened from there. Whereas uh, the studio just weren't happy with that script and they had Carpenter do a rewrite. And then Wallace wasn't happy with some of the things that, you know, I've already talked about this or blah, blah, um, just rehashing old shit. Um, so the movie gets the ball rolling. Um, they get the screenplay knocked out. They got the um, Tommy Lee Wallace in place to direct. Uh, Atkins was brought on basically the same way he got the job for the hob the fog um deborah hill and not only that and because of his work on escape from new york but primarily because of deborah hill and uh that relationship <clears throat> so pretty much all the crew for halloween three was the same crew from halloween two outside of a couple people here and there obviously the director um but you know carpenter and hill writers again uh, Howarth and Carpenter, music, production designers, all of them. Everyone was pretty much brought back. They, everyone went on record in this documentary I was uh, talking about earlier saying that the majority of the crew from part two, they all came back for part three. It was pretty much the same. Um, and not much time apart either because if you, you know, Halloween two and Halloween three, they're only a year apart, almost to the day. So, so yeah, that's, that's, pretty much how that movie came about i guess from there we can get into the plot right yeah so let's do this so the movie starts with i mean right off the bat we can talk about this opening because the opening is no different than part one and two it's just different so we get the pumpkin credits but this time it's a digitalized uh going for the more uh technological theme that this film carries um, so after we get that introduction with the pumpkin, we get title, we get a shot of an underpass at nighttime with the text, Northern California, October, Saturday, the 23rd. And then we see a character who we find out his name is Harry running with a mask in his hand, a pumpkin mask from this underpass. And he runs into a dealership. And this is when we find out that he's being chased by a car with two strangers in suits. You can see someone in the passenger seat and obviously the driver. So Harry runs into this car dealership. He runs up the steps. He tries to get into the office to no avail. Doors locked. Looks over by this time and the car is at the, the end of the dealership looking in. Looking around, he ducks down not to not be seen, and the car slowly drives off. And then you see the car back up, but this time, if you look closely, there's no passengers in the passenger seat anymore. So he kind of creeps back, and he runs into the suit that was in the passenger seat. And he has him on the ground, starts choking him, and he's choking him to death. But Harry grabs a chain and pulls this chalk that knocks this car down that rolls slowly rolls into the suit and pretty much sandwiches him between two vehicles and from there the guy harry gets up and he runs to a nearby gas station and there's a guy 
<clears throat> watching uh, the Stonehenge on TV. Uh, a black guy we name is whose name we find out later on is Walter. He goes in and collapses um, in front of Walter. So Walter drives him to the hospital, and then the next scene we're introduced to Dan Chalice. Dan's coming to his ex-wife's to uh, pick up his kids, and that's when we see that his wife is Nancy Keys, and with obvious great die job it's so strange uh seeing her with this in this role i mean she's trying to make herself up to be obviously about 10 years older whereas i mean it i don't know it's 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 kind of the obvious if you know the behind the scenes things either that or if you've seen this movie as much as i have little things pick up you pick up on um i just always thought that was funny um the kids he's got a surprise for him and it's these uh just bland plastic masks and they're like, ah, they're underwhelmed. And they're like, well, mom got us all the, we, mom already got us masks. And of course, they show that they got the uh, silver shamrock masks and they put them on, do a little silver shamrock dance. And then this is where we're, we see one of the first of many, many, too many times this famous, or I should say infamous, silver shamrock commercial where you know the jingle. Even if you don't know this film or have never seen this film, you know this song if you'd follow uh, if you follow the horror genre even the slightest and you've somehow never seen this movie you know what this song is from so um it's from this point he gets called to work um and then he goes and he checks on harry harry's all you know out of it um and then he thanks walter and walter's talking just says you know i'm just doing the right thing you know i do you do the same um and then Harry warns that they're going to kill us before getting knocked out. Um, he gets put under. No, not put. Yeah, he gets put out, more or less. Um, and then we get next scene. The another suit sneaks into the hospital and comes into Harry's room while he's out, and. This is probably one of the, probably a top five most brutal kills I have ever seen. Probably will, I, I don't know who thought of this death, but kudos to you, my man. You are a deranged individual. So he puts his mouth, uh, he covers him with, with one hand, his mouth, so he doesn't scream. And then with the other hand, he proceeds to put his tooth, his thumb and his index finger into his eye sockets and then he crushes his nose. It is some crazy shit. This skull-crushing finale of this man, this poor bastard Harry. Um, it's, it's just a deranged death and they, they don't pull away either. Um, it's, it's pretty gnarly, the effects for this kill. Um, it's, I mean, it's not the longest, they don't hold for the longest, you know, it's, it's an obvious eighties quick shot, but it's still like, they don't, you still see it. You get a pretty good view at this and hold for just long enough. Um, and yeah, so then, you know, he proceeds to, you know, the, the, this woman that, uh, Dan was hit, hitting on earlier, um, 
starts screaming. Dan ch- chases after this guy, chases him into the parking lot where the sh- the suit is already in his car and he's already poured himself, poured gasoline all over himself and set himself on fire, and the car explodes or the, the he dies to a fiery death of you know just to self sacrifice. It's some uh it's if you've seen this if you're in dan's shoes you're gonna have questions from the shit that he's seen which cuts to the next scene and he's calling he's clearly affected by this and he's calling his wife to uh cancel the kids and he's just it he's shaken up clearly visibly shaken and like his wife's not buying it blaming it on his drinking and everything else and he's just I'll, I'll call you tomorrow i can't or i'll take said he'll take him saturday 10 a.m saturday i think that's what they say and you know they hang up the phone then all right so it's the next day title card sunday the 24th um and the car outside is still smoking um this is where ellie harry's daughter arrives to identify his body um this look that she gives like i mentioned it's like one of the reasons why i love this movie because not for the look itself it's just you it is the look itself it's it's the way like the look of shock i mean mean, her acting obviously um uh what's her name stacy nelkin her acting definitely plays a big hand in this um it's 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 great it's it's great material um something that stands out for sure and this is where dan starts getting involved and it's a little weird actually it's a lot of weird um especially because dan's like twice her age um she's like 25 ish and he's pushing 50 it's freaking bizarre um and it's also just throughout this film just the lengths that this man goes to it's so obvious and he's trying so hard it's so cringeworthy but you still gotta watch you can't help but to watch you know some fucking weird stuff sorry um so he asked the coroner teddy his friend to check the body herself instead of um the other examiner and they get into it as to why um i think it's it's he's he's getting chummy with her either way i mean this guy is a huge womanizer not only with this this little poor girl but or poor young woman but i mean you see him earlier with a couple of the staff i mean he's clearly like this someone who 40 years later would not play well in reality it, uh, it's he's the worst but it's atkins he does a really good job of playing a scumbag who Oddly enough, people admire in a weird way this genre, I'm telling you. So Dan's at the bar. Um, when Ellie comes in, she says that the, some of the people of the staff told them told her that they'd be able to find her. She'd be able to find him there. There. And uh, she asked if he said anything before he died. And he said, yeah, he wanted me to tell, tell, tell Ellie I love her. She said that he's a terrible liar, and she goes to leave, and that's when he stops her and said that something funny is going on, and he's going to find out the truth, and that's when she's going to go get answers, and, and he's going to tag along with her. So they first they go back to his old shop, and they, they trace his shipping log 
It traces everything from it that they find in the shipping log traces back to this small town called Santa Mira. And this is where Dan goes an extra length to, I don't know what at this point. His intentions are pretty clear, but they're also not so clear. Dan cancels with his wife or his ex-wife again. Uh, boy, actually, he cancels with his kids again, flipping out, rightfully so. At this point, I'm on his wife's side, and he's doing this from a payphone. He's got a six-pack on top of the payphone, ready to party as soon as he hangs up the phone, and that's exactly what happens. He hangs up the phone, he grabs this sixer, and he jumps in Ellie's car, and they take off to some of the most beautiful shots of this film it's probably the only shots of this film of the countryside, so that's why they're my favorite. And also, if you've seen The Fog, you know Dean Cundy can shoot the shit out of some countryside scenes. So <clears throat> they get to Santa Mira, and it's weird from the get-go because it's a small town. Everyone's looking at them because it's, it's so secluded that everyone pretty much knows everyone. It's kind of like a cheers. Everyone knows your name. So as they're slowly driving through the town, people are just standing still looking out at them. You see a couple of the suits that uh, were around earlier while watching them from one. You see one from an alleyway. You see one from a window or a balcony. Um, and yeah, it's really weird. So they go through, going through this town and then they go to um, – Rose of Shannon, the motel. That, that's what it's called, the Rose of Shannon. They go and check in. Uh, that's where we uh, meet Buddy and his family. We also meet Marge. And we meet the hotel clerk, um, Rafferty. Um, so they're checking in. Dan, he goes and he finds some um, the check-in log to find out what room and, and all the information from Harry from that because that's the same hotel that he was at when he found out before this all went down. <clears throat> um yeah, so then Dan goes, he this is all right, so this is the scene. This is where Dan awkwardly agrees to stay with Ellie. And the way it maybe it would be better if I just play it. So, yeah, hold on a second. Let me find that little play button. And here, here we go. Maybe I ought to get another room. That would look sort of suspicious, wouldn't it? What I mean is, if you'd uh, feel more comfortable, uh, I could sleep in the car. Be better in this floor anyway. Where do you want to sleep, Dr. Chalice? That's a dumb question, Miss Grimpich. All right, so um, like I said, that happened. And now it is the 6 o'clock curfew where the whole town has a curfew and we hear a voiceover from um, an announcement warning everyone to go inside their homes. It is now 6 p.m. And you would swear, at least I did for the longest time, that this was Jamie Lee Curtis doing all that um, voiceover work since that she did the same you know, VO job for Escape from New York. But no, she's went on record. Her, um, Carpenter and a few others have publicly said, no, that is not Jamie Lee Curtis. So 
Yeah, Tommy Lee Wallace, he was one of them as well. I mean, the director of the film, I think he would know. It would have no reason to deny her. Anywho, so that happens, and then Dan runs, Dan's walking back to the hotel, or the motel, and he runs into a character named Starker, who's a homeless man, who's pretty much begging for money and for a drink of Dan's like tasty beverage. And that's when Starker goes into this dialogue about how the, uh, the monologue, sorry, about how the town is the way it is and don't trust Cochran and something's going on with that shit, uh, silver shamrock. And he used to be a blue collar worker. And then when they came into town, they wouldn't take him. They, they cut, they cut him out. And that's where he, that's why he is where he is. And he pretty much says, fuck Cochran and Zilver Samrock. And that's when they split up and then goes back and Starker goes his way. Starker runs into a couple of suits. Now, I should also mention in the last scene prior that we see a camcorder or a video camera clearly pointed at them. They even acknowledge that there's a camera pointed at them and that they see and hear everything. And he even still at that point says, fuck Cochran. So, yeah. I mean, record time though from his boys because like I said the next scene Starker runs into these suits and he said he was only kidding he didn't mean it and they knock him down to his knees and that's when Dick Warl the one suit played by Dick Warlock who was uh, Michael Myers in the previous film Halloween 2 he's one of the main suits in this movie who has no name by the way and he rips, proceeds to rip this poor dude's head off. And it's some nasty shit. And I like how you even see like a lot of blood splatter afterwards in the shadows. So uh, that's how they were able to get away with it in the MPA. Because it's, it's all black. It's all in the shadows. It, you still see clearly a lot of blood splattering. It's pretty cool. I like that effect. Um, and then Marge. Yeah, this is the, the next scene is... Uh, Ellie and Marge outside of the room. Uh, Marge is complaining that she has to stay. She's a salesperson. Um, and she's complaining because her order at the, the warehouse for Silver Shamrock was delayed. And she has to stay there another night. She's complaining. She's been, a, you know, an original, you know, um, the local. And she's been there for, <clears throat> she's been a customer for a long time. And how she's complaining how a lot of new customers are coming in and just because they're bigger and have bigger, more orders that the little man, the little guy's getting pushed under. And anywho, instead of getting into that ramble, um, she shows that even that they're getting cheap with their quality and shows Ellie the pin that we find out later is what sets off these masks when they watch the signal or the, the commercial. Um, but we'll get into that. I'm getting ahead of the plot. Um, next scene, Ellie, uh, God damn it. Oh, this shit. <clears throat> All right, so Ellie is next scene getting out of a shower. Now, she gets out of this shower, and she grabs her sh or her towel and wraps it around her loosely and then proceeds to immediately go into the room and take the comforter off the bed and wrap it around herself like it is a towel. What the tr 
triple F. You, what, what's going on? Why are we doing this? Oh, yeah. Um, and then Dan calls Teddy for an update. And uh, she said that all she could find in that fire was just car parts. And he asks her to keep looking. And then the next scene, um, really weird scene because, you know, poor Marge, you know, she's in the room. It's worth noting that Marge is in the room next to them, um, them being obviously Dan and uh, Ellie. So Dan and Ellie are pretty much having a sex fest. I mean, they're, they're just spending the rest of their day and night getting it on, more or less. Um, trying to keep things PG, even if th that is what happens. And so while this is happening, Marge is next door in her bed. And she proceeds to start picking at this pin. And she sets off this laser that shoots out and hits her in the face. And poor Marge is suffering. She's got this gnarly, like, kudos again to the makeup department. She's got this brutal-looking, like, scar from her lip and it's in like bugs and critters and 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 just this disgusting shit's coming out of her and and her eyes are red and it's it's some crazy brutal makeup and she's and she's still alive and she's just uh, 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 suffering through this while these two are getting it on you know king dingling and the other one it it's it's a really awkward and sad moment. Um, yeah, I mean, so then the next the the, the next scene is the that the crew comes at like a couple hours later in the middle of the night. The crew, some lab techs and some some it looks like lab techs actually, and and some other suits and and Cocker himself. We eventually see all coming down from the factory, and they take Marge out of her room. Um, and it's said that she's going to get the best treatment at the factory. Um, so then we get the next day. It's the Silver Shamrock factory tour that uh, Dan and Ellie go to. Uh, they're taking this tour with Cochran um, along with Buddy and Buddy Jr. and the wife. Uh, you know, they're going and seeing how the masks are made. Um Cochran is talking about um, the company's origins and everything, and Buddy's asking. But little Buddy wants the you know one of the masks, and Cochran says, "Oh, not that mask. That hasn't been through final processing. How about take take one of these?" And he hands him a mask that's still that's in in the wrapper, and then that for that leads to Big Buddy, Buddy Senior, like. What final treat or final processing? And he's like, oh, it's chemical, blah, blah. And they go out to the next, they go outside and there's this big room that they can't go to. It says final processing. And when they ask to see what's inside, he says he can't. That's when he blames it on the chemicals and says that's why. And lawsuits and whatnot. And then that, of course, Buddy Senior understands. And yeah. Um, and oh, it's worth also worth noting this is October thirtieth when this is going on. So we got one more day till Halloween. Halloween, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Um, so the big secrecy final inspection room, and then Dan and Ellie proceed to leave, and Ellie, they're not even completely gone yet, and Ellie finds Papa's car. That's Papa's car. Like she calls her father Papa. <laughs> it's, it's it's cute. It's adorable. 
So she sees um, Papa's car um, that's got a cover on it, but it's not fully covered, and she sees some of the uh, taillight area sticking out, and she notices some of the license plate, and that's what tips her off. Um, and, of course, she goes to confront the suits, and they all gang up on her, and she backs up. So then they go back to the room, um, and they're gonna they're packing to get, to get out of there, and uh, they're gonna call the police. No, Dan goes to call the police. Ellie gets captured in the meantime, and Dan gets chased away. Dan sneaks into the factory, um, and he finds this like old woman knitting uh, in the darkness and he goes to tell her, you know, he's looking for help or whatever. And he tests the head and it finds out it's an animatronic. The head pops off. Uh, really cool effect there. I like that. It's, it's really creepy the way it's like her head, her face is like hidden away in darkness and shadows. So you can't tell if it's like an old woman, like a real person, or if it is a robot, I'm not going to lie. Originally when I first saw it, I always thought it, it always got me because I thought that was an old woman. I'm like, I don't remember there being an old woman by the time it dawned on me. Boom, the head popped off. Um, so yeah, this is... And then um, he gets attacked by the Dick Warlock droid. And this is where he rolled. They, they get a, into a scuffle on the floor. Uh, Dan rolls on top of the droid. And he proceeds to punch through his gut into his stomach. And pull out wiring. Um, the blood's like this yellow orangey goo um which is actually um well i got notes on what that actually is later on coming up in the trivia um and then that's when he gets captured he's just he's out he's exhausted he's out of it after he pulls this wire out and discovers that it's a robot i guess at this point it it hits dan damn i gotta deal with all these robots now and as he sighs after that reveal, uh, he another android puts his hand on his shoulder, and he gets captured. Uh, so after this, um, it's Halloween. That's right. It is Halloween the next day. Dan gets taken to the lab, and this is where we get the big final, the the big set. It's it's one. It's the Stonehenge rock. It's one of the Stonehenge rocks. Um, that Dan, not Dan, that, um, not O'Harrell. Dan O'Harrell is the actor, or Hurley, he is the actor, Cochran, Corin Cochran. Um, he, this is the big villain reveal, all his, his master plan. This is, this is the big master plan reveal. So I guess, let me roll that clip here. Let's, let me play that one for you. Cause he's, it's better from there than hearing it from me. Oop, here we go. Enjoy the horror fun, Doctor. And don't forget to watch the big giveaway afterwards. Why, Cochran? Why? Do I need a reason? Mr. Cochran was right, you know. I do love a good joke, and this is the best ever. A joke on the children. But there's a better reason. You don't really know much about Halloween. You thought no further than the strange custom of having your children wear masks and go out begging for candy. It was the start of the year in our old Celtic lands and we'd be waiting in our houses of wattles and clay. The barriers would be down, you see, between the real and the unreal. And the dead might be looking in to sit by our fire 
festival of Samhain. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago and the hills ran red with the blood of animals and children. Sacrifices are part of our world, our craft. Witchcraft. To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. It's not so different now. It's time again. In the end, we don't decide these things, you know. The planets do. They're in alignment. And it's time again. The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. And... Happy Halloween. So now we're treated to the famous uh, Buddy death scene. And this is where Buddy, little Buddy, and his wife are in this room watching the TV. They got, there's a couch, there's a TV. It's like a living room setup that they're in. They're in a little private room. Uh, Buddy takes his mask and puts it on because the commercial comes on and asks him to put the mask on. So he does. And the commercial plays, and it's pretty much a taste of things to come. This is what's going to happen later on at 9 o'clock when these kids put their masks on across the world and watch the big giveaway at 9. Um, so he's watching it. It's telling the, the pumpkins flashing and flashing, and the music's going bump, 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 and it just keeps on going. And then Buddy proceeds to start grabbing his head, and he's pulling on it, and it's stuck to him, and then... All, his head turns into this goo and it he falls down and bugs are coming out and snakes and a big python comes out and it's like freaking out that the, his parents his wife collapses and she ends up getting I, I'm assuming the same way her husband dies because he gets bitten and he ends up falling from being poisoned so then that's how that happens or that's what happens in that moment and then from there we have this uh Pretty cool trick-or-treat montage because it's Halloween night at this point. And what follows that is Teddy's death as she's working on this grand discovery that she thinks that, that there wasn't car parts, that it was actually something else. Um, a droid uh, ends up finding her in her office and takes a drill and knocks her down and drills through her skull. Poor Teddy may she rest in peace uh then this is where dan's put into a room and he has a mask put over his head and a tv's playing in front of him and he's strapped down hot hands and everything and the tv is playing halloween it's about 750 ish around this point so he's pretty he's, he's, he's still got all the best moments to come from halloween but what follows at nine o'clock is the big giveaway and that's when gonna, that's what's gonna make the party rock this is where dan escapes next next scene he escapes by kicking down the tv it breaks he knocks himself over grabs a piece of shard glass from the tv screen slit slowly slits his um wrist band or whatever which he's uh tied to and he cuts himself free Gets out, um, 
proceeds to do a lot of running around from rooftops to ladders, doing a lot of climbing. I know Adkins mentioned that day of filming running around. He had pneumonia and like it just kicked the ever-living shit out of him. So he ends up sneaking into this room. He calls his ex this, uh, to tell her to tell the kids not to watch the big giveaway. She blames it on his alcoholism, says he's drunk, which for once he's not. Um, so he gets nowhere with that. She hangs up on him. Uh, he rescues Ellie. She's tied in a room, in her own room, tied to a table. Um, and he rescues her. And then they destroy, or he destroys, because she is pretty much a zombie at this moment. I wonder why. He proceeds to uh, destroy the lab by activating the pins. Um, remember I was mentioning the pins is how these things work, this this gimmick. And he sets it off um, and drops them off from the ceiling. And they start going off as they're hitting the ground and just electrify all of the labs and techs and everyone in the room. And this is... This moment is... I love this, and I mentioned it in one of the reasons why I love this movie. Uh, Cochran turns up and looks at them and gives this look and this little clap like, bravo, you got the one up, you have won, before turning to the stone head, hits him in the head, knocks him, and then he vanishes. So Cochran's out of this game. <clears throat> uh, they're dri- Dan and Ellie are driving away. They, they run off. They're driving away because they had to get to a phone to you know tell everyone not. Because even though they, they saved the day and got out of Silver Shamrock, the factory, the, the game plan is still at 9 o'clock, this giveaway. So they're driving. Ellie's returns out to be, a, she's turned into a droid somehow. So they, he crashes the car. And she's decapitated. And she, her upper torso, her body is uh, still attacking. Her headless body is still attacking him. And he proceeds to defeat her, get away. He runs to the same gas station that Harry got to in the beginning. So Walter, meet Harry, or not Harry, meet Dan again. Um, gets Uses his phone to, this is the end scene, where he is calling... The first radio, uh, the, the first news station he calls, and the TV station, I mean, he calls, and finally, after a little bit of convincing, gets them to turn off the signal so there's no giveaway on that channel. But there's two other channels, and then he calls, proceeds to call the second station, where he convinces them finally to turn it off, and they do. But then there is the third station, and I know this because there's three kids sitting there, and they're, they come in from trick-or-treating. I guess their parents are pumping gas, so the kids are watching the TV in the meantime, and it's 9 o'clock, and they're just flipping through channels as, as they're cut off from the phone calls. There's one left, and he's getting nowhere, and he's, he's just saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. And he looks at the screen real quick, a little homage to the evasion of the body snatchers, and... Breaks the fourth wall, looks at the camera, and screams. And that is how this film ends. Roll credits. All right, so let's go down the notes that I took, shall we? All right, first thing I have on here. Drinking and doctoring. Dan must know Dr. Mixter, the alcoholic doctor from part two. All right. 
that's awfully nice of the gas station clerk for sticking around and making sure the man's helped. I love how he dips out when trouble actually persists, though. That's actually pretty funny. And then I got Dan's quite the poster boy for workspace sexual harassment. And Harry's death. All right, why is he still holding that damn mask? Oh, that's right, for plot purposes. I got on here. I really do like this light blue lighting in the hospital halls while Dr. Chalice is running down after the droid who killed Harry. Um, it really illuminates the yellow walls. Odd choice, but I dig it. <laughs> and then I got... Always got to make sure to cover up your work and destroy all evidence, even if that means yourself. Dan's ex-wife won't even listen to him while he's clearly traumatized. He must have really goofed before. And then I got... I like how the mask Harry has... I'm sorry. I like how the mask Harry was clutched to was conveniently made its way onto the table next to Dan after he hangs up the phone. Ellie's reaction to her father's corpse is some genuine stuff. It's a pure reaction to something that's meant to look deeply horrifying. See what I mean? <laughs> and then I got on here. What are you doing, Dan? Don't even. <laughs> even in my notes, I'm talking him out of it. Always good at moonlighting, eh? Is there a female employee at this hospital who Dan who Dan doesn't have a hand in? And then I got this bar Dan's drinking in absolutely screams 1982. Uh, hey, look, kids. It's a commercial for Halloween. Let the record show that these two are at least 20 years apart in age. <laughs> it's painfully obvious seeing, the, seeing these two together. All right. Uh, holy shit, Dan is desperate when he's now lying to his ex to run away with a girl half his age and a six-pack of brew. <laughs> 25 minutes in, and I've heard this damn Silver Shamrock song at least four times. Even the motel clerk's Irish as fuck. <laughs> And then I got, Dan, you really are trying here. Um, this suspiciously early curfew doesn't raise any eyebrows of Dan or Ellie. <laughs> True. Love this glowing light effect on Dick Warlock as he rips the hobo's head off. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, question about the lingerie Ellie's got on for Dan. Is this something you always keep packed just in case? Or did I miss a scene with you sneaking away to purchase it? What do you mean, final process? What final processing? He means quality control, dumbass. And then I got here. The shot of the five suits outside before they go after Dan is such a dominating image. It really is. Uh, you can tell a good chunk of change from the budget went towards this Stonehenge set in the final act. Yeah. I appreciate how Cochran mentions the ridiculousness of getting the Stonehenge inside and has a good laugh about it, too. Um, I love this Halloween trick-or-treating montage around the country with all the masks. And then I got... <laughs> this is a good one. At least this film can properly pronounce Samhain. Take that, Halloween, too. Uh, Dan must play a lot of horseshoes. That's a good one. Uh, plot twist. Ellie's a robot. And then I got finally on here. Do you think Dan got through to the final channel in time? <laughs> Probably not. All right, guys. How about some trivia? Let's see. What do I got here? 
All right. <clears throat> London Bridge is falling down was used for the jingle because it was on the public domain. The gas station in the film can also be seen in the fog. A milk factory with a terrible smell was used for the Silver Shamrock factory. The bedroom scene was one of the first scenes Atkins and Nelkin shot together. Mm, awkward. Um, Garn Stevens, the woman who plays Marge and Tom Atkins, were married at the time. Um, I just recently found this one out. Joe Dante was Universal's first choice to direct the film. Uh, 60% of the film's material... Uh, I talked about that. Uh, Tom Atkins developed pneumonia during, fil during filming. Nancy Keys was pregnant with husband director Tommy Lee Wallace's first child during production. I guess that explains the blouse she's wearing. The plaza where Atkins calls his wife in the, is the same plaza from Halloween 2 when Darcy's getting Karen to keep her promise. The Silver Shamrock commercial plays 14 total times throughout the film, in case you were wondering. Um, speaking of, in case you were wondering why I didn't mention Roger Ebert's name earlier when the uh, Critics Corner, it's because that this film made his most hated list of all time. Ellie's car is a 92 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. The fluid coming out of the droid's mouth is the is OJ concentrate. Remember, uh, I was talking about that orange blood that they have. Uh, and finally, the book that Marge is reading in bed before her death is The Eagle's Gift by Carlos Castaneda. So that is the trivia that I have. Um, I guess all in all, before I wrap this up... Um, I just want to acknowledge, like, Tommy Lee Wallace. I think he does a fine job throughout this film, establishing some really creative effects for its time and budget. He controls the narrative by knowing how he's going to utilize certain elements of the story to advance the plot. There's some of the creepiest and darkest material of the franchise in this movie, and a lot of that is because of Wallace and his drive to go all in on the whole anthology angle even if it ended up only being for one film before returning to the Meyer-centric story. Um, even though he's a bit of a scumbag in this, I, I think this is one of Tom Atkins' best showings. While he's done a lot for the genre, including many unforgettable roles, I've always felt this and None of the Creeps were his two best films, and after rewatching this again, that statement still has relevance to it. He's a real piece of work but he plays the part so convincingly and honest that you've got no other choice but to accept it and just go with it because he's seriously given his all to this goofy role, just like he does in None of the Creeps. Um, I, I, I think... Um, I think Stacy Nelkin is fine as Ellie. It's clear as day. She hasn't been featured in a lot of work at this point, but she makes the material she's given work. I'll give her that much. Some of her lines are delivered questionably, but she's watchable for a good bit of the film, as she's in a lot of the movie. By the time we reach the final act and she becomes absent for almost 20 minutes, it's not even noticeable. She does an okay job in this. Like I said, I thought her performance was fine. Um, what more can I honestly say about Dan O'Hurley that hasn't already been said? 
the man's a legend and by the and, and he's the best part of the film by a large margin. He plays the part very believable and I'm and in a commanding but subtle way. He's he's just great. He's yeah. So wrapping this up. Um Halloween three. Alright, so we got a final body count of twenty one by my count. The unbiased MVP pick for this film, I got Dan Hurley. I mean, how can you not pick this guy? I mean, I can see how some would select, would pick Tom Atkins. I mean, you wouldn't be wrong. He's, he's great. Like I said, it's one of his two best performances, in my opinion. But for me, the main star here is O'Hurley. I, I think he's just, he's a prize to watch. Um, I think they really struck a gold mine when they were able to secure him for the film. Um, I think he adds, I think he takes the movie as a whole to a new level, like just a notch above what it would have been without him. Um, and he's not in very much of the movie, but the scenes that he does in that, that he does act in that he's a part of, yeah, you bet your ass he's going to give it his all and, and makes it worth watching. So my Be Kind Rewind most rewatchable moment goes to everything that occurs after Dan escapes the motel room when he's chased out. Everything from then on when he goes back to the factory to the, the final act, I think it's the film's strongest material. I think it's the, the stuff that works the most is in the end of this movie. So yeah, from that moment on... Definitely. Uh, my double feature pairing for this. Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And it's the original. And I think the reason for that is pretty obvious. The comparisons are side by side. Pretty similar. These movies have the same feel. Um, similar plots. The execution is a bit different in both films. But they end sort of similarly. Like I mentioned, um, the very quick flash of the, the last cut which is Atkins looking at the camera as he's yelling stop it is basically an homage to the body snatchers the original when something similar happens to that um so yeah star power alright so like Halloween 2 I'm giving this three and a half stars um it's, nothing wrong with the film overall i'm a huge fan of this movie um i gave you guys a list of reasons why i love it and i wasn't bullshitting you um but you know let's not get carried away halloween 3 is is you know a cult classic in its own right it's a damn makes for a damn good horror film but uh i mean it's 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 not it's not the exorcist you know what i mean um so yeah i just um Let's see, what else we got here wrapping things up? Final thoughts on this movie. I mean, look. Is it the greatest? Hell no. Shit no. But, you know, if you want something different, if you're looking to look for something where you're not quite expecting, you know, especially when something called Halloween 3, and it doesn't even include Michael Myers, but... I think this is a fine genre film. Uh, it's got some great um, practical effects. I mean, I've already talked about the acting. 
and and I think you know for its budget it's it's time I I think that Tommy Lee Wallace put together a solid film. I will admit this film took years to to you know warm me up, but in the end I've finally come around to it after the last I'd say ten to fifteen years and. I put it up there. It's it's far from the worst Halloween film. It's something different. And like I said before, I have nothing but respect, at least respect, for Tommy Lee Wallace for at least, you know, trying something different. So yeah, that's gonna wrap things up with Halloween three. Um got another episode coming up at the end of the week. Friday I've got Pet Cemetery 2 plan for everyone. And then next week we'll be getting into... I got Vamp lined up, which is one of my favorite vampire films, especially from the 80s. I've got Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, which was originally planned for the uh, movie, or for the Harthon. And what else is next week? What else? Uh, Phantasm. Oh, yeah. Phantasm. You play a good game, boy. Looking forward to talking about that with everyone. So, yeah, next week, Phantasm, Tales from the Dark Side. Um, Before I get out of here, just want to remind you guys that you can listen to previous episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Stitcher, and wherever else you enjoy your favorite shows, you can follow us on Facebook.com at Mad Dead Movie Review, Instagram.com at Mad Dead Movie Review, YouTube.com at Mad Dead Movie Review, and Twitter.com at Mad Dead Movie Pod. If you got any questions, comments, or requests, you can always email them to Mad Dead Movie Review at gmail.com. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Ed. Hope you are taking care of one another and have a beautiful rest of your day. See ya. It's almost time. Happy, happy Halloween, Halloween.